Good morning. Thank you for uh, coming out this morning and so many of you here, it's really humbling to be welcomed into this place and to be welcomed to share this with you and to share God with you and with all of us. And I want to pay my respects to God's people, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation on the land that God has given them. God prepares us, prepares us for what God asks of us. I've felt prepared my entire life, prepared in the little church on the mission where I was raised, the Aboriginal mission on the outskirts of Griffith in New South Wales, where my uncle was the pastor, raised among fierce people of faith, but also a people forsaken, I've chosen to speak today from Lamentations because it is the word of people forsaken. The people who pray in suffering to a silent God that does not answer their prayer. God prepared me for this day just last week. I was in Bathurst back on Wiradjuri country, my country, in a place of war, a place of war. The wars we don't talk about in our own country. The wars we were just learning about now that we call the frontier wars, but they're not frontier wars to us. To Wiradjuri people, they are the homeland wars the wars that came to our country, the invasion of our country, the theft of our land, and the slaughter of our people. Next year will mark 200 years since the declaration of war on my people. Martial law declared in a state of emergency that made it legal to kill our people. A war that in many ways has never ended. A war that was described at the time in the newspapers of the time who reported that war as surely as we report the wars of our time today as an exterminating war. That's the language that was used. An exterminating war. The Vietnamese writer Viet Tan Nguyen says that war is fought twice, once on the battlefield and then again in memory. I went back to a place where war is still being fought in memory. I sat with my people, Wiradjuri people, who were born of that conflict and who live with that war in us that is written on our souls. God spoke to me in that place. God surprised me in that place. I was driving back towards Bathurst. That beautiful time of the afternoon, particularly this time of year, when the sun is starting to dip and you get that beautiful 
golden haze. And as I came over a hill, I looked to the side, and the sun, the ray of the sun, was lighting the steeple of the church. And the golden hue of the sun was landing on the hills. I was called to that church. I took a left-hand turn. I drove into this little village outside of Baptist. And I walked into the church. And truly, it was a church of affliction. I could feel the affliction in the walls of the church. All around the church were depictions of the stations of the cross. Everything in that church spoke of the affliction of Christ, the man of affliction, the man of sorrows, and what his death means for us and how it speaks to us. The church had a deep, profound, and sad power. There was a sadness in the church. How could it be otherwise? A church built in the years after the war against our people. A church built in a place of war that carried within it, within the stones of that church, the memory of that land, the memory of that land, the memories of our people. I walked out of the church and as I did, I looked up the hill and there was a man coming out of the old convent behind the church. And something drew me to this man. I walked up to him and he got out of his car and he looked at me with eyes that carried deep pools of sadness. He knew me immediately. He knew me from television, but there was something else in his eyes. A white Australian. I saw a sadness that I can recognise because I see it in the eyes of my own people. Because sadness does not divide us. Sadness speaks to all of us. We all know affliction, suffering, loss and sorrow. This man looked at me and we began to talk to each other. He told me that he'd come to this place, a house of prayer that is open to all behind the church. Any who want to go there. He said he came there just for a couple of days. Three weeks later, he was still there. I didn't ask why. It wasn't my place to ask why. But just to stand there with him. And we went for a walk. We walked through the convent. We walked out the back. I turned to him at the end and I said, thank you, you're a good man. And tears started to form in his eyes. He said, I needed to hear that. You're a good man. Sadness, sorrow, lament, affliction united me with that man. It called me to that man. I left and I drove back into Bathurst and then I turned around and I drove back. And I spoke to the man who oversees this place. I said, is there a bed for me for the night? And I spent a night in this place. 
And I woke up the next morning and I went for a walk and I felt the sun rise on this land, a land of my ancestors, a land of war and suffering. And I connected with that idea of suffering and affliction. And it prepared me for what I wanted to talk to you about today. The idea that we rush to get past suffering. We talk about reconciliation. We talk about healing. We even talk about justice. But what happens when those things remain out of reach? What happens when we pray and our prayers are not answered? Where is God when we only have lament? I don't know that we value lament in the way that we should in our world today. We all want a hug. We all want closure. We all want healing. These are the buzzwords of our time. But lament has a power and a purpose. We've all just experienced lament with Anzac Day. For what is the ode, lest we forget? Then a call to just sit in the unspeakable, unfathomable sadness of it all, the injustice of it all. Why did so many people die in such a senseless war? Why do so many people die in wars today? Why do my people continue to suffer in a place of war? The war that was brought to our shores. In Anzac Day, we can share in the sacred lament for the loss. And we can sit in that. And we can embrace the hard questions of lament. That's why I chose the reading from Lamentations 3. Lamentations is just five poems in the Old Testament. Five poems written, as you heard, by who knows who. Some think Jeremiah because it follows the book of Jeremiah. And Jeremiah is a man of sorrows and a, a man of affliction. Lamentations is written at a time of war where the old Jerusalem is being ransacked by the Babylonians raised to the ground. It begins in Lamentations 1 with the words, how deserted lies the city. How deserted lies the city. The, the road to Zion mourns. Think about that. The road to Zion mourns. Not the people. The land mourns with what has happened to the people. There is no more bleak book in the Bible than Lamentations. People lie dead along the road. The prophets are dead. There is just sadness. Women are reduced to eating their own children out of starvation. Can you imagine? And they cry out to God 
Where are you? And their prayer is not answered. I chose Lamentations 3 because in Lamentations 3, as you heard, it begins, I am the man who has seen affliction by the rod of the Lord's wrath. By the rod of the Lord's wrath, the Lord's doing. These are hard things to ponder. That you pray to God and your suffering doesn't end. Indeed, God has willed your suffering. Willed it. If anyone is familiar with the history that leads to the book of Lamentations and the scriptural history that tells us of how the people of God turned away from God, that there is a punishment in turning away from God that is wrought on these people and that's what they are experiencing in Lamentations. What did our people do? What did my people do to deserve what happened to us? What a hard question. I have struggled with that question. What did we do to deserve the invasion and the theft of our land and the suffering and the war that was brought to our country? What did we do? I've prayed to God for an answer to that and I don't have one. Who am I to ask God for an answer? How easy it would be if I could dial up God and God could come and fix everything. But what would that mean? I don't get to ask questions of God. God gets to ask questions of me. And I wrestle with those questions. Those questions have taken me around the world. As a Wiradjuri boy who grew up in the church, who grew up among his people, who saw the wounds on the bones and the skin and the souls of our people. I went out and covered the wars of our time, from the Balkans to Afghanistan to Iraq to Pakistan to Syria to Gaza to the West Bank. The conflicts of our time, I have seen the worst of what we can do to each other. And I say, where are you, God? Where are you in the suffering and the death of innocent people, of children? Where are you? I don't get an answer. Where is God in Ukraine? Where is God right now in Yemen? Where is God in Sudan? Where is God in our own country where my people die 10 years younger? and are the most impoverished and imprisoned people in this land. And we still don't know justice in our own land. Where is God? And the answer for me is that we live in a world that we have created. That God allows us to live in a world of our will. And look what we do to each other. We live in a world where that suffering is possible. It happens, and it happened to my people, and it continues to happen to my people. And I have to live with that. And Lamentations 
gives voice to that. My people are Old Testament people. Uncle Ray has spoken of the book of Job and how Job's suffering speaks to us as Aboriginal people. Lamentation speaks to that prayer to a silent God and God doesn't listen. We could say God doesn't exist. How much easier that would be if I could just wall up my ears, walk away and say God's not real. This is just what we do. We are just science. We are just what we can measure under a microscope. We are just rationality. We are just logic. But I know God's real. I walk in God's cathedral every day under the trees and the stars. I feel the touch of God and the touch of my parents. I feel God in this church today. I feel God in the loss and the forsakenness of it all. How do we know love is real? I can't put love under a microscope and point to it and say, there's love. These are the molecules that make up love. This is the, these are the chemical components of love. Science can't tell us what love is. I know love because of love's absence. I know when love is not there. And I yearn for love when love is not there. And when I find love, I find that completeness in the world. Our people know God is real when God is not there. And we yearn for God when God is not there. The man of affliction in Lamentations 3. The man who said that God has made his skin and flesh grow old and broken his bones. Who has made him dwell in darkness. Who has walled him in and weighed him down with chains. And when he cries out for help, shuts out his prayer. That man doesn't say, does God exist? He knows God is real. And in the absence of God, reaches for God. In Lamentations 3, the man of affliction says, I remember my affliction, and in that remembrance, I have hope. The hope when all hope is lost. The hope when all hope is lost. But he struggles with that hope. Towards the end of Lamentation 3, his hope turns to vengeance and he asks God to strike down those who have afflicted him. And God doesn't listen. God doesn't listen. Lamentations continues on in chapter 4 and chapter 5. And throughout it, there is only the loss. There is only the forsakenness, the prayers that go unanswered. In the man of affliction, in lamentations, we hear what is to come. The man of affliction is the man of sorrows, and we know that Jesus will come as the man of sorrows. And that when Jesus is on the cross facing that darkest hour, what does he say? Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then it is done. 
Our people are the people of the cross. We are the people forsaken. We are the people abandoned. We are the people, I often think, between Good Friday and Easter Sunday, the people of the dark Saturday, when God is dead and we don't know what is to come. But we know God's real and we search for that hope. We search for that hope unseen. Why would we have hope? Why would we have hope when we continue to suffer? I looked into the eyes of that man that I met last week and I wondered about where he is going to find hope. But what brought him there, whatever sadness, whatever sorrow, brought this man to this place of prayer where he needed to retreat from the world came there because he knows God is real and even when he prays to God and God is silent, God is still there. That's where he needed to go. He didn't go to a casino, he didn't go to a nightclub, he didn't go on a holiday, he didn't go on a cruise. He went to a place of prayer in his darkest hour. When I go back home to my country, we're actually country, I get back home to a place that knows the dark hours where I can sit with my people and feel my people around me. This year, we will all be asked to vote in a referendum on a voice to Parliament. And there's a lot invested in this. There's a lot of politics invested in this. And we're hearing the yes and the no case. So much noise. And in so many ways, I want to shut out the noise. Because it isn't the referendum that's important to me. There will be a vote, yes or no. But whether it is yes or whether it is no, we'll wake up in a land that still knows affliction. We will still wake up in a land that knows injustice. And we'll still have to embrace those hard questions of affliction and forsakenness. We may try to rush to reconciliation, to justice, to healing. We may wake up and if it's a successful referendum, celebrate that day as if that day has arrived. But we know that it is not. How much better to sit for me in that lament in that lament where we can sit in the sadness of it all and still know that God is real, God exists. We know that we all suffer. We all know that moment when God apparently doesn't speak to us or answer our prayer. We know that personally. But my people also know that existentially. Our existence on the earth the question of whether we continue as a people. We know that. How much deeper are those questions when you face the harsh reality that your people may not exist on the earth? I wrestle with all of those things. And for me, it is sitting in that lament. It is sitting there and knowing that these things are possible, these things happen. 
Simone Weil, the great French mystic and philosopher, called affliction the chill of indifference, the metallic chill that freezes the soul, she said. The chill of indifference. The horrible things that can happen to our world, to people undeserving, but happen still. The prayers that go unanswered, the suffering that continues, and yes, still the presence of God. And where do we find hope? I can't read Lamentations, I can't read the Old Testament without reading through the reality of the coming of Jesus. And in his suffering, in his forsakenness, what the promise was to us. The hope that emerges from the hopelessness. That's why I chose Corinthians. That's why I chose Corinthians 4, 13 to 18. Because it spoke of faith. It spoke of belief. It spoke of the promise of Jesus. That in that faith, we will find hope. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. What is unseen is eternal. The hope unseen. I know that is real. I see that in my people. I know that these are the challenges that face our country. To stare into the face of our own history, to stare into the face of that affliction, and to become right with God because the things that have been done in this land have been the things that have taken us from God. Like the people of old Jerusalem who suffered and wailed against God, who blamed God when they needed to look to themselves. Who asked questions of God when God was asking them to ask questions of themselves. I wrestle with these things all the time. I wrestle with the worst of the world. I wrestle with why these things happen, the ongoing suffering that I see amongst our people and amongst all people. But I know that we are not alone. I know that in Jesus and in God, there is something greater that binds us to each other. That the man of affliction and the man of sorrows took that pain upon himself so that we may find each other. I found that this past week, in the eyes of a man I may never see again. A man of sadness who retreated from the world, asking questions of God, and God asking him questions of himself. I left that place asking questions of myself, knowing that we all fail, we are all not worthy, that we can cry out, we can point the finger of God, we have to look to each other. And in looking to each other, we have to find each other. And in finding each other, 
We don't see the hope easily seen, but we see the hope unseen. There is no hope in lamentations, but there is a waiting. And our people wait. And in our suffering, we know the truth. We know the truth that in that waiting, in the seed of love that God leaves behind for us, God waits for us. And it is God who finds us, even in a place where we know there is still so much affliction and so much sorrow. That God waits for us as we wait for God. And it is that seed of love that allows God to find us. Thank you so much for being able to share this with you today. The importance of lament. The ability to see ourselves in our suffering in each other. And know that sometimes we don't have to rush to the healing or the reconciliation. But in the lament, we can find each other and wait for God to find us. Thank you.